ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಚರ್ಮಸ್ವರೂಪಿಣೇವರಿಷ್ಠಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಯಮಸುಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ So in the last class, just we had an introduction of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. just to have an overall idea of the philosophy of Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where we indicated, just in a nutshell, what's been indicated, that Bhagavad Gita's philosophy doesn't adhere to either the Advaita or any other, the Vishishta Advaita or Dvaita schools of philosophy. It has its own approach to view the reality. now the question may come that if the reality is one how the question comes of viewing the reality in different ways so very interesting that in sanskrit the word which we generally loosely translate for philosophy is darshana darshana is not philosophy we loosely translate it as philosophy the word darshana even in our indian regional languages darshana means to see the word darshana actually means perspective the angle of my vision it is seeing but seeing with a particular perspective to give a common example the building the house where you are staying if you take the picture from outside from the east if you take the picture of your own house from the west if you take the picture from the north from the south what you will find all the pictures are different though it is a picture of the same house it appears to be different because i have taken the picture from various perspectives darshan i am seeing i am seeing my own house from the various perspectives from the various directions and it looks different the various aspects of the building gets highlighted as per the direction from which i am seeing so that way you will find that word darshan is very very significant that i agree to the fact that there can be various way of seeing the same truth as per my temperament as per my uh, liking as per my way of life as per the circumstances in which i have i am born i may have a particular trend to look at the reality from a particular perspective and it's all right that doesn't mean the one who is seeing from a different perspective is wrong and i am right it is my limitation that i because of my likings my biases my temperament my belief system have restricted myself in a particular perspective but the ultimate reality is infinite it has infinite dimensions 
it has infinite fibers or layers of understanding and from the various perspectives the same truth may of course appear quite different and that way we find that in spite of so many varied opinion there was no question of clash so bhagavad gita also we will find krishna what he did that when in his time he found there are so many opinion he made a girl garland just as in the gita he will say he is a wonderful thread through the entire existence not only through the entire existence through all the philosophies he has made a wonderful garland where all these philosophies are like the pearls and from that he himself has created a wonderful perspective where you can include all the perspectives you can include all the perspectives and feel to certain extent satisfied that even within me when i am believing in a particular perspective there need not be clash in any way with the other perspectives so what he did in the advaita vedanta we find the idea that there is that non dual conscious principle which is being projected as the universe and there itself we find it is differentiating from itself from sankhya in sankhya there are two ultimate realities the prakriti the nature and the conscious principle they come together to create this phenomenal existence but in advaita the even the prakriti has been sublimated as the conscious principle alone the conscious principle alone because of ignorance is appearing as prakriti and the goal of our spiritual goal to somehow through our spiritual practices get established in our real nature the conscious principle the purusha which is beyond the prakriti now as per the ultimate goal is concerned we will find the sankhya as well as the advaita both speaks of inactivity and if i speak of the vishishta advaita where i don't think of myself to be ultimately merging with the absolute i am a conscious principle just like a sphulinga in the fire we find there's various that so many this is the small sphulingas this the the fire is having the small small uh so many uh this uh, the flares are coming out so each of the small flares is also essentially same as the fire but they are not totally one with it that is the amsa amsi samparka that they speak of but whatever it may be ultimately i am that conscious principle which is not merging with the absolute but which is in constant devotion with the absolute so there also in the ultimate realization activity is negated that here through knowledge i am one with the absolute here through devotion i am eternally in contemplation of the absolute which has nothing to do with the phenomenal existence so here we find that we as a civilization were becoming too much other worldly the same civilization which was named as bharat the word bharat means bharata the civilization which is a knowledge society bha means knowledge rata means engaged the one who is engaged in the pursuit of knowledge by 
taking all the phases of life to be equally important. Abhyudaya Nisrayasa, both were equally important. And we were gradually have to evolve through the various stages of life to ultimately reach that state. So that's why we find in the early Vedic society, is what's mentioned, there are four Purusharthas, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, that not only liberation, as a brahmachari, as in as when I am yet to enter in the householder's life, I am a student. What I have to inculcate the values. Why? That as a householder, I have the full license to pursue for wealth, artha, to pursue for the sensate pleasures of life. I have right, karma. They are also goal. But I have to do it in a legitimate fashion. In such a way, I do not disrupt the harmony, the balance which is existing in the society. That my desires, my pursuit for wealth shouldn't be at the cost of the welfare of the society. So that's why as a student, it was not just the gathering of information. Dharma meant what? To know the do's and don'ts and using your, the faculty of will, regulate your life, internalize those values, that you become an instrument in uh, how that you just become an instrument of the welfare of the society. Even by mistake, you don't do anything because it has the goodness has become your habit. So this internalizing of the values is the dharma, to know the do's and don'ts and regulate your life so that the ideas become the nervous association. They become the stimuli response conditioning is changed in such a way that your behavior pattern becomes something which is conducive to the welfare of the society. So that's the dharma. As a student, my pursuit for the dharma was what is wrong, what is right, to know that and to act accordingly. On that, based on that, my pursuit for sensed pleasures, for wealth was all considered as Purushartha. But we will find as a human being, we are unique. A certain phase of our life, we will come that that what all we wanted, the sensed pleasures of life, the power, the position, the wealth, all I have. And then as if I have reached a plateau, that is life after all this only? After that, what has nature given me at some point of time is going to take away from me. I'm going to grow old in spite of all my desire to clinch, clench to all the things I have gathered, nature won't allow me. It will drag me, everything has to go off. And then in that wretched condition that all my aspirations at last, is it for this? At last I am a pauper, the nature made me wealthy and at last it takes away everything and it's just like a pauper, I have to die. And there that question comes, then what's the real purpose of life? Dharma, Artha, Kama had its own place. That's why Swamiji used to say that I am a socialist because half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. This Dharma, Artha, Kama at last can feed you just half. You are half fed. As a human being, unless you can take a quantum jump 
to relate your existence with that higher dimension of existence where nothing ceases. You are the Satswarupa. That in Sanskrit, the word Sat means that whose existence is never, uh, who never comes to an interruption. Trikal Avadita is Satya. That which was in the past, that which is, that will be. I as a physical being, as a psychophysical being, was born at a certain point of time. In the second chapter, the word of our real nature, which Krishna will be saying to Arjuna is avyakta. We are vyakta, we are manifested, but as manifested, we are not sat. I was born at a certain point of time. Before that, I was avyakta, unmanifested, but I was as the conscious principle. And I take this to be the sat. That cannot be the sat. I was born at a certain point of time. I go through the six form of changes. Jayate, asti, vardhate, viparinamate, apakshiyate, nasti. We were born jayate. We exist for some time. Asti, vardhate. Then as a child, we were growing. We were growing. At each and every moment, the growth was there. Vardhate. And then the middle age came. The, the growth stopped. Now the body started gradually transforming. Vi parinamate. And then came, the, we have already reached the peak. Apakshiyate. Now comes the degradation. At last, nasti. Your annihilation. Annihilation of the psychophysical existence. So as the six changes are concerned, I am not sat. My existence started at certain point of time. is going to end at certain point of time. And that, and that in that time, constantly I was changing. The ultimate reality is something which is beyond this change. It is always there. And that Satswarupa, which is a Trikal Avadhita Satya, which was, which is, which will be. So the Krishna, we will find that in Bhagavad Gita, will be just taking Arjuna to that dimension of existence. Unless I can relate to that dimension of existence, the questions of life can never be solved. You find all the questions remain unsolved. That for what my parzit was there for dharma, artha, kama? For what? Unless and until it takes you to that another dimension. As we give that example again and again in the various classes, that why we find that the answers to the questions of life is never resolved. The more we grow old, the more the upper what you say, the optimistic becomes pessimistic. Why we were optimistic? Because we have, we were short-sighted. We were not, at that time, we were so much engaged with the immediate things which the life has given us. We were not at all bothered what is waiting there. We were so short-sighted, myopic. And when we, through our life, have traversed and reached that state, when we find our nature has take, started taking away everything, I am at loss. I don't know what to do. That what after all this life was. And I find as an old man, I am a dejected, totally depressed person, just waiting as if for death, life has no meaning to me. Why it has happened? Because I didn't find the answers to the so-called, the questions of life. Why? That the example which we give again and again, that if I, I ask you to draw exactly four triangles, 
by joining four points. You can try, you can go on trying. It's impossible, you can never do it. If you try to do it in a piece of paper to have just draw the four points in whatever way you can place the points and now try to join them to get exactly four triangles, you will find it's never possible. Somewhere or other two lines will intersect to create the fifth point and you find that just by joining four points to get four triangles is impossible. What's the answer? You draw three points, spot three points in the paper. Imagine the fourth point in the space. Now join the three points in the paper, you get one triangle. And from each of those points, imagine a line joining the fourth point in the space. You will get a triangular pyramid with three faces on the, in the space and one face as the base. So why I didn't get the answer? Because I was trying to find the answer just in two dimensions of the paper. I never thought that I have to relate to another dimension to find the answer. And we all, after Parzit for our Dharma, Artha, Kama, at last we find that we are dejected. The life as if has no answer because somehow we are hoodwinked. Our eyes are closed. We don't relate to that another dimension of existence. Once you can do that, you will find that all the problems are solved. All the questions are being answered. And that's what Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, at the very beginning he will be doing. He finds Arjuna, Arjuna who is established in Dharma. We will find that when he's going to the battle, he's quite proud of his capabilities. As a student, he was well educated in the martial art. He was the best student among all the cousins and his, among his own brothers and cousins. He was the most capable warrior of his time and he knew what he's going to do is right. He's going to fight against the evil so that the right may prevail. And then we find him in a situation where he is totally lost by seeing his near and dear ones. And from there we will find Krishna is taking up. When, when he's taking him up in that situation, when Arjuna realizes that he is in a very uh, emotional bankrupt situation and he needs help. His own friend now becomes his guide, his friend, philosopher and guide, and he seeks his guidance. Then only Krishna, the Gita starts, that will be in the second chapter. And before that, we will find that what we were saying that Bhagavad Gita after all is not the philosophy which adheres to any of the Vadas, the Dvaita, Vishishta Dvaita or Advaita. Why? Because we'll find that Krishna never consented to that Arjuna's idea. What? That I don't want to kill. Let me retreat. Let them have the kingdom. Even if they want to kill me, let them kill me. I don't want this to be a part of this, this violence, battle, bloodshed, killing, annihilation. 
it apparently appears to be so nice. If I would have been, and this Gita would have been adhering to Dvaita, Vishishta Dvaita, or any of those philosophy, the God was supposed to applaud him, appreciate him by saying, yes, that is the thing which is needed. But we find just the opposite. Here we find he's saying that just get up from this faint-heartedness and fight, but fight with a different perspective. And for that to make Arjun aware of the different perspective, the entire Gita was spelled out. It is gospel spelled out by God to change his perspective. And then at last we will find Arjuna is saying that all my doubts have vanished. Now I see the truth clearly. And with equipoise, I can take part in the war. Not with a sense, with a proud feeling that the, somewhere because my enemies are there, they are unrightful, I am the rightful, I am the one who is doing the right thing, right should prevail, and I am going to the war. No. Now his perspective will change. That in this world, the, in the second chapter, there are so many important ideas will come. That when we take as us that life as an individual, again, we cannot give answers to so many things. We nowadays prescribe to vegetarianism, veganism. It's good. I'm not going against it. But think the ecological balance. Big problem in Australia that so many animals were brought. The Australia, the, Australia is such a continent which got segregated from all other continents ages ago, millions of years ago. And that's why the evolution took place in its own way. There are so many animals which has no as such similarities with the other animals in the other continent. So when the humans migrated from the other continents and they started staying here, we started bringing all the animals, the other things from the other continents here. And how the ecological balance was disturbed you brought some animals for which the predators were not there. And then you find that, your, that the, land, the land which is supposed to be full of vegetation has been totally overgrazed, soil erosion. And then the total ecological is disbalanced. There is tremendous flood. The soil erosion is there because it has been overgrazed. The animals are having no predator. So now if you take the life as a whole one, you will find even there is a role of the predator there. He keeps the balance. You cannot think, I can think I have the choice to be a vegetarian or a vegan. Can the lion has a choice to be a vegetarian or a vegan or the tiger? It's impossible. The Lord has made them in such a way that they will feed, they have to feed. And why? From the Lord's perspective, life is one. To sustain it, there has to be a wonderful ecological balance. Similarly, here also as a human being, with all our developments and everything, if we find certain faction, certain factor, certain particular faction of the human society have started believing that by hook or by crook, it is I who should prevail. I should enjoy the kingdom. I should have all the wealth. Again, the yagya, yagya adhipati, the one who is the lord of yagya, that is, his not, that is not his plan. 
He has built the world as per the rhythm, as per the plan of interdependence. There should be a mutual interdependence, which will maintain a wonderful balance to sustain the entire creation. And whenever we find such disruptive forces are coming out, it is the plan of the divine that at last we will find them to be annihilated. How powerful Hitler may be, how many millions of death may be, he may be the cause of, but at last he has to be annihilated. The Lord of the plan was, the Lord of the universe is such that at last he himself had came to killed himself. He this committed suicide. He had to do it. You cannot prevail with the idea that for my good, I will kill everyone and I will the one like a cell, cancer cell, I have to sustain myself. A cancer cell is never the plan of the, uh, the, the ultimate divine, the Yajna Adhipati. Why? Because at last as a, a cancer cell can never exist with all its, the way it plunders the entire system, at last that entire system, the human body when it dies along with the cancer cells also dies. It cannot, it cannot exist. So if I not take that way, that it is after all, when we find that certain factions of the society has become a disruptive factor, it is only thinking of its own welfare, of its own power, of its own might, the nature will arrange itself in time, in no way we will find a time will come which has to be annihilated, removed. And the one who is removing, if he thinks I am removing, then the clash of course comes. But if he thinks that it is after all the plan of the universe, the Lord has planned it, I am just the instrument there. He's doing the same thing. Now he can do with an equipoise, with a balance. He's with an equipoise. Now he can do that. I am after all the instrument in the hand of the divine. The divine has somehow, he could have chosen anyone, but somehow he has chosen me. And I am doing the work, which is the actually the plan of the divine. So I'm just a divine worker. So here you find there's no question of retreat, but at the question, same, same time, the question of dispassion is there. First, I have to cleanse myself from all the senses that all the ideas of do's and don'ts, which I have learned in my love, life, I have to unlearn them. And by relating to that, uh, that higher dimension of existence, with equipoise, I have to act. So here, inaction is no way prescribed. And that's the beauty of Bhagavad Gita, that abhyudaya, the social upliftment and nisrayasa, your own emancipation need not be segregated, compartmentalized and amputed. That if I have to dwell with the social upliftment, it cannot be uh, that I can practice my spirituality, which I think is can be practiced only in seclusion. This two goes hand in hand together. And this is the Bhagavad Gita in one word, if you can just say that what's the philosophy? It's a philosophy of contemplation in action. That I as Sri Ramakrishna used to say that Chok Bujlei Tini Achen Chok Khulle Tini Nai. 
Very interesting. That is God only there when you close your eyes? The moment you open your eyes, is he not there? He is there when you close your eyes. He is there when you are opening your eyes. When you are closing your eyes and trying to relate to that dimension of your existence, which is conscious principle, that is he. When you open your eyes and see the universe, it is his bivava. It is the Lord again who has find expression as this universe. And that also is learning, uh, is this existing as per rhythm. As far as I am living this life as per the rhythm, constantly aware of my real existence as the conscious principle, in a detached manner, as an instrument, I can continue with the life without losing my equipoise. I can be still the instrument of the Lord. As Sri Ramakrishna, we will find some of the examples very interestingly help us to understand this idea. You know, when the children play, the nanny is sitting, the grandmother is sitting, and the children are playing. What's the play? The game, the concept of game? At one is made the thief. All others are running. To whom, whomever, uh, if the thief can touch someone else, he also becomes the thief then. But there is a condition. So all has to run away from the thief. Otherwise, he will be the next thief and he has to chase the others. <coughs> so, but what is one condition? If anyone somehow touches the granny, then even if the thief touches that person, he is no more. He or she, that child is no more, can, can become the thief. So somehow you have to touch the granny. Now, when the game is going on, all the children have a tendency to touch the granny so that they won't become thief. But the granny will be chasing them out. No, go and give the because why? Because she wants the game to go on. If all comes and touches her, the game will stop. So she doesn't want that all should come and touch her. Let the game go on. So what a wonderful example. So here, that's the idea of the Bhagavad Gita. When Arjuna wants to touch the granny, he says, no, go and fight. So he wants the game to go on. It should continue. But that doesn't mean that I have to be just be uh, suffering with all the things which are happening on this life. If I become the Lila Sangi, as a companion of the Lord in his Lila, in his divine play, the same goal, the same game, no more becomes a battlefield. It just becomes the Lila, the plan of the divine, the divine plan, the unfoldment of the divine plan in which I am just the instrument. So this is the background with which the Gita's uh, we have to understand. So in the first chapter, we will find that what that is in this there's the when at last this Mahabharata war, which could there was no way uh, in which the peace could be brought. The Pandavas and the Kauravas were now in the battlefield. So that's the background of the first chapter. The Krishna has tried his best. When Yudhishthira told that we will be happy just with five villages, the Duryodhana's reply was, King never beg. If you want five villages, what five villages? If you need even uh, the point of a needle of earth, Shuchagra Medhini, you have to take it by fight, by battle. So that was the standpoint of Duryodhana. So he has, first of all, forcefully taken away the uh, the kingdom, and now he's saying that you have to fight. Even he was not ready to compromise with five villages. Shuchagra Medini, just the point of a needle, that much of earth. 
he was not ready to give without fight. So fight was inevitable. It was decided. Now they are in the battlefield. Krishna is a charioteer of Arjuna, Sharathi. So both the sides are there. We find in the first chapter that Lord Krishna has arrived on the scene along with Arjuna with a magnificent chariot. And Arjuna is sitting there. Krishna is the charioteer. Arjuna is the one who is going to fight. So the two armies are arrayed, ready for the battle. And Arjuna now requests. Here the Bhagavad Gita starts. What is request? Please place the chariot between the two armies so that I can survey both the opponents. I can see who all, who all are there with whom I have to fight. It's a very interesting situation. We can easily relate it even with our day-to-day life in the present situation. I will come to that. Now what happens when, when Arjuna has asked his friend, the charioteer, to take place Uh, to take him between the two armies. So it was not that profound idea that I am the instrument of the divine that uh, just taking part. He he never had that idea. In the words of Rishi Aurobindo, very nice, it was actually not with any profound idea, but with the proud intention of viewing those villains of unrighteousness whom he has to meet and conquer and slay. Very nicely, poetic way Aurobindo is using in this holiday of fight. For him, he was so confident about his strength, about his capabilities. It was just a holiday of fight. Who are those unrighteous ones standing against me? They're just trivial things. Just taking away a little of my time. Okay, I have have just kept apart a part of my busy schedule, just for this holiday of fight. Let me finish. With this intention, he's as if entering to the battlefield. What a poetic way Rishi Aurobindo is writing. With a proud intention of viewing viewing those villains of unrighteousness, whom he has to meet and conquer and slay in this holiday of fight, so that the right may prevail. Now, when the moment he looks, we find He's getting now drained out. However, as he gazes at them, there's a contending army. He realizes it is not just a civil war. It is going to be a domestic war within the family, as if between the husband and the wife, who were separated because of the family issues where the wife was probably felt that she has been wronged again and again and again. And she as per the rules, were separated for one year and now they come to the court. Both are convinced it's just a legal matter and it's off. And then they find the emotions. The moment they see each other, they find the emotions welling. You can relate. It happens. They were separated. They were fully convinced that in no way we are going to be together. After one year, they're coming to the court just for that. And then they find Emotions welling. The moment you are in presence of them, that's happened with the, with Arjuna, the cousins with Duryodhana and all, with all their evil intentions. It is with them, along with them, he was growing up. They were all together. They were constantly having fights, quarrels. But it is after all those blood relations with whom he was growing up. Not only that, that the grand figure, the grand sire Bhishma, his teacher, 
dronacharya they are there in the contending family so it's not just a civil war it's actually a domestic war it is not that only the man of the same race or the same clan or the same nation but it is those of the same family of the same household who are standing opposite to each other so now it is quite obvious that what's happening that it's almost he finds that he's getting drained out there is a tremendous emotional bankruptcy in arjuna which is inevitable even in our day to day life as the example we were giving we find that in the situation almost like an this emotionally abusive relationship what is emotionally uh, this abusive relationships where most probably there was no physical abuse but the scar was not in the skin but it was in the soul which made them to decide that they should be apart the fight the legal fight has issued it's a common thing in the situation even here also you can easily refer to that it's an emotional abusive situation where my emotions are obsessively dragging me to sustain that relationship but the rational mind is saying that i have been wronged repeatedly and deliberately but somehow i find that emotion has now become an obsession compulsion there is no reason to be together but by that somehow the rational mind knows that that i have been repeatedly wrong i have repeatedly that deliberately i have been wronged again and again emotionally most probably there is no physical scar but the soul has been wounded but somehow that obsession is there to continue and then you find that this you what can be defined as an emotionally abusive situation what are the immediate effect of that emotional bankruptcy so it can have a serious negative effect yes in the in the court room itself you can find that someone has collapsed it happens that after one year of separation for the hearing they came and one collapsed they both had the intention for separation then why this collapse because it has a tremendous this emotional bankruptcy has a tremendous effect negative effect on the physical and mental well-being but sometimes we find there is a compromise even after that collapse why you know because if if in spite of all this emotional abuses we do make some mistakes what are the basic mistakes even nowadays let us forget arjuna many say that this arjuna's vishada sometimes is very difficult to relate we can easily relate let us take that what are the mistakes we do when we are in emotional this uh, abusive situation we start ignoring our well-being sometimes that thing comes let me compromise that all this uh, that even if i suffer it's good but let me continue so we start ignoring our well-being i find that each and every day i am getting drained out my mind is agitated my i am getting they've started developing lot of physical ailments in the form of blood pressure palpitation and so many things uh, nightmares still i just think of continuing i start ignoring my own well-being that's the first thing which happens in all the emotionally abusive relationship and this the second mistake we all do we forget that we are not here to unconditionally please others and to be their slaves oh whatever you do you do i am just your slave 
yes some do develop that type of attachment and we reason that it is my love but we forget it is not love it is infatuation it is obsession each and everyone has his right to live their life fully how can someone take away the right to live from you so i am not here to unconditionally please someone these are the same mistakes which happens today used used to happen ages ago and it happened with arjuna also the arjuna also we will find the moment he sees that what his grandfather his teacher the father in law uncle cousin their sons this nephews the grandsons the friends he's totally now drained he thinks he will find that he's first of all he's totally we find that is affected physically mentally and then he's ignoring his own well-being he forgets that he is not there to unconditionally please someone the third mistake we do what we initially start taking all the blame personally oh most probably it is my fault there is a term called gaslighting you know it is in the modern days when the one who is abusing you the so called the predator will try to make you believe it is all your fault and you start believing i ah, it is all my fault and that adds up to your this what do you say that uh, the disruptive uh, uh, negative negative aspects of your well being it adds up you become more and more weak fragile dear totally uh, what do you say that uh, you find yourself totally weak fragile uh, emotionally psychologically totally down drained but you start blaming yourself you start blaming that was probably yes i am the person who is responsible for all this and not only that whenever the question of thinking ahead comes in such relations we find what they anticipate disaster that in their attempt to take strong decisive stand oh there is going to be some disaster that i am most probably uh, is just frying i'm getting fried in a frying pan if i take the jump i will be in the oven this is not going no way going to help me yes in some situation yes if we find that uh, that uh, we can continue of course we should try our best but in many situation we find that there is no way you have to take the jump and most probably the jump will help you out of that situation to have a new life with which you have the right to live not only the phys- physical and mental uh, torture can never even enable you to lead a spiritually fulfilling life those are the basic things i have to be healthy sp- physically mentally and then only i can think of spiritual life such type of coexistence in no way even going to help me spiritually but we sometimes just rationalize and think it's all okay we philosophize our weakness and we think anticipate disaster in our attempt to take the strong decisive stand and then what at last all those things speak of we tend to compromise so these are the five major mistakes we find in emotionally abusive relationships even today we they start the one who is abused starts ignoring his well-being the first thing they think they have they are there to unconditionally please the other person the second thing 
They take all the blame in themselves. The third thing, they anticipate disaster is going to happen if I think of some, take some decisive stand. And at last, let me compromise. And we find the, of the same traits, the same traits which are universal is finding expression in Arjuna. And that's what has been described in the first chapter. What the serious, first, first thing is the serious negative effect it has on the physical and mental wing. By seeing his teacher, his grandfather, his father-in-laws, his uncles, cousins, nephews, seeing them, he knew. It was not that he never knew that with them he has to fight. He knew. But the moment he saw them, immediately that emotional bankruptcy comes into existence. Because how, somehow he's emotionally linked to them, though he has been wronged again and again by them. So that emotional obsessive drag starts draining him out. What happens in the words of Arjuna? In the 29th sloka of the first chapter, what says, Sidanti mamagatrani Mukhang cha parishushyati vepathuscha sharire me roma harshascha jayate gandivang srangsate hastat tyakchai cha paridaihate nacha shaknamya vasthatum brahmativa chame manaha. Just, just see how he is getting drained out. What he is saying, O Krishna, seeing my own kingsmen arrayed for the battle here and intent on killing each other, my limbs are giving away. My mouth is drying up. My whole body is palpitating, shudders. There are shudders in my body. My hair is standing on end. My bow, the Gandhi, which I am holding in my hand, is slipping off from my hand. The one who is the most strong person, all his strength is gone. My skin is burning all over. So my mind is in the whirling confusion. It's confusion. It's total, I'm in total confusion. I'm unable to hold myself steady any longer. He actually sits down. his droops. And then he continues. That what he says that now he will be ignoring his well-being. The first thing he says, Nakangshe Vijayam. I don't want victory. For that he came to the battlefield. He says, nothing I want. The 31st sloka, I desire neither victory, nor empire, not even any pleasure. And he forgets that he is not there to unconditionally please someone. What he's saying, how can I stay without them? Just see. The one who has been wronged throughout the life by the Kauravas, he's saying, how, after all, how can I exist without them? Yashamarthe kangshitangno rajyang bhoga sukhanicha te ime avasthita yudhe pranang styaktya dhananicha that the one with whom I am going to fight, if they die, what I am going to do with all the wealth? If they are not there, what's, so just see, as if just to be with them, to please them, to be their slave, has his, is his intention. So he has forgotten that the ones that emotional bankruptcy has happened, he has totally forgotten that it is all the wrongdoings which has made him to come to this battlefield. And now he's ready to unconditionally, he's ready to please someone. He is ready to stay with those one, with those person in spite of all the abuses. So that's the thing he's saying. And then he starts taking irrationally the, all the blame in, his, in himself. What he's saying? 
पापम एवं सिचुएशन and there is no other way to win the war than by killing them it has to be done but he says that i will be committing sin not only that now he starts anticipating that all disaster is going to happen what's kulakshaye pranashyanti kula dharma sanatana dharme nashte kulam krishnam adharmo abhivatyutah but with the destruction of the dynasty it is the dynasty it is the family tradition which keeps the religion which keeps the values it's a thing even we can understand this a small child is growing up along with the family he is all good and a time comes when he has to go to the uni most probably the uni is not near to his house it is in some other state and <clears throat> now he has to live a life alone most probably with the friends the, the uni students so he is going for the first time away from his family and then suddenly the family starts hearing his boy has done this his boy has done that and the family cannot believe he is such a nice boy how can he be behaving that way actually the family is like a fort with all those values when you are there you are protected the moment you are out of that that all those value systems are no more working for you immediately you may trend to become totally uh, a what you say they just a free going person just breaking all the so called uh, the, the the do's and don'ts we find it's common thing so that's the thing he's saying that if the kulakshaya is there all the dharma is going to be vanished but he forgot one thing that in spite of the kulaving intact dharma has already vanished duryodhana has totally taken away the kingdom from them they are all together as a kula they were not supposed to do that the kula is meant to keep the values but the in spite of the kulaving together the value system has totally fallen off then what is the question where is the question of kulakshaya comes it has already it has already all the values has been diluted dissolved this war is the only way where he can take the legitimate right to establish religion again there is no other way but what he is saying because of this weakness he is anticipating disaster kulakshay pranashyanti kula dharma sanatana dharme nashte kulam krishnam adharmo abhivatyuta so when the dynasty is destroyed its traditions gets vanquished and the rest of the family becomes involved in immorality in irreligion adharma but arjuna forgot that their cousins have already transgressed the family tradition what type of family tradition it is that in front of all the coolest three the wife of the family can be derobed where is the value the entire value has fallen off how where is the value where you cheat someone else in the game of dice to take away their kingdom and send them in exile 
Where is the value? It has already gone. And Arjuna is saying that, that Kulakshaya, this question of Kulakshaya doesn't come as the Kulakshaya has already happened. That's why they are in the war. But he, because of that nervous breakdown, is anticipating and he's philosophizing nicely. It apparently appears, oh, so it's all correct. But we have to understand the background and then judge that these words are not mere words standing alone. They, these words have to be linked to the situation. And then you find these words are mere philosophizing. The weakness, his own weakness, it in no way is rationalizing the thing which he's saying. And at last we find they tend to compromise and even contemplate self-destruction, which is as good as suicide. Yes, even in our uh, present day emotional abusive solution, uh, situation, we find that as an extreme measure, someone has resorted to suicide. And that's what Arjuna is almost saying. What? Yadimam apratikaram ashastram shastrapanaya dhartra rashtra rane hantyum it is better if with weapons in hand the sons of Dhritarashtra kill me unarmed and unresisting on the battlefield. It's just suicide. So these are the mistakes which Arjuna is doing. But you know another mistake we do which we have never spoken of previously is that when we are in an emotionally abusive situation we become more and more isolated. I don't relate with others. I forget that that's the time when I have the, it's a priority to build a support structure. In life, you should have someone in whom you can totally have faith. And at the time of crisis, you can go and relate to. But generally in emotionally abusive situations, we find they become very, very isolated. And that's the major reason for which we find that the other factors also cannot work out. All the mistakes remain as mistakes. They cannot nullify those mistakes and come out of them because there was no support structure. We might not be able to take care of everything by ourselves. We should always be aware of that fact. In the moment of crisis, that in spite of all our knowledge, you will find that you are so much drained out. You are not able to take care of everything by ourselves and we find ourselves overwhelmed. So we need someone really on whom I have faith. I know who is a person of integrity who can stand with me and can help me. Arjuna only had this thing as a positive thing. Everything went against all other mistakes he has committed. But this is the right thing he did. And that's why we find that because of his choosing this Krishna as his charioteer before the Mahabharata war began, that interesting story is there. Krishna was not willing to take any side. But to get his favor, both Duryodhana and Arjuna, both arrived, both reached uh, the Krishna's residence together, almost together. Duryodhana came first. He was by nature a proud person. He saw a throne kept uh, in the uh, on the head on the head of the bed in which Krishna was lying, Krishna was lying. He was resting, and near his head a throne was kept. Duryodhana, being a pride, proud person, he entered early. He came and just went and sat there, waiting for Krishna to wake up so that he can ask his favors. And Arjuna, just a few moments later, he arrived, 
he bowed down, offered his pranams and came and sat near the feet of Krishna. Now when Krishna got up, naturally the one who is sitting near the feet, when you get up, your vision will be towards that person. You can be first see that person. So Krishna sees Arjuna first. And then of course, he turns around and sees Duryodhana also present. And naturally he asks, what's the reason for you to be here? And then both of them says that we, now the war is something which is inevitable and we want you to be by our side. And then Duryodhana claims that I am the one who came here first. It was just a few moments that uh, before he came. So I have the right to claim first what I need. But now Krishna very tactfully told, yes, you, you did came first, but I saw Arjuna first. When I got up, I was sleeping. When I saw, got up, I saw Arjuna first. So I would like to give Arjuna the first chance to ask what he wants. But Krishna made one thing very clear that whatever it may be, I am not going to take part in the war. So now very interesting. When you ask Arjuna what you want, he gives him the two choice that see that after all, both of you came to my favor for, for my favor. So none should go empty handed. So here is a choice for you. All my army, my, this, 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 the, the, my entire army, my, there's all my warriors is in one side. They're in thousands. And the other side, I am the one who won't be taking part in the war directly, won't even ever pick up the weapons for the war. I'm going to be there unarmed not taking part in the battle. Now, whom do you want? So here, this was the choice which saved Arjuna. If you would have taken that Akshayani Sena in this mentally deranged uh, situation, with all his power, with all his wealth, nothing would have helped him. The one who is supposed to be the instrument in taking the decision that has fallen off. Nothing would have helped him. That's happened. That in our life, when we start our life, we think our bank balance, our position in life, all this is, is going to be the only factor which is going to be, bring me security. And how helplessly we find nothing works. Arjuna was very, very wise in this manner. He told, I want you. The God he wanted. He wanted Arjuna, totally unarmed. He knew that he is the one who is going to be his friend, philosopher, and guide. And that's why this chapter, you know, in the, all the chapters in Bhagavad Gita is called yoga. Yoga means the way by which I can relate to that higher dimension of existence. Now, how can Vishada become yoga? Yes, Vishada can become yoga. If instead of totally making us isolated with our problems, as if I get encapsulated in a cocoon and don't allow the any type of help and I just die there. The cocoon doesn't come out and dies inside the cocoon. So sometimes in our life, we do that, isolate ourselves. But that all those crises can become yoga. It can help you to relate to that higher dimension of existence. 
just the way it happened it even happened with the author of the gospel of sri ramakrishna when he was in a crisis moment somehow it was a plan of the divine he met ramakrishna and life changed and that also become for him the vishada yoga that instead of getting overwhelmed so much that i isolate myself i seek for a higher guidance i seek for someone who can be my friend philosopher and guide who can guide me through this crisis and can help me to outgrow out of it so that i can broaden my perspective and can build my life again on that broadened perspective and that's why this first chapter is also yoga is called the vishada yoga so arjuna wanted krishna as he was not going to take part in the world as his sharathi the charioteer the one who will be driving his life's chariot that's what we all want come let god come down and drive my life's chariot if he is the chariot what to fear so that's the story which makes the vishada into vishada yoga so this partha sarathi is our sarathi the story of the uh, this this uh, what you say this this despondency which makes arjuna babble this is babble despite that we find that as he has chosen himself as a friend philosopher and guide you will find in the second chapter that idea will come that karpanya doshopahat sabhava prichhamitvam dharma sangmura cheta that he realizes that somehow he cannot take the decision because of the faint heartedness because of the anxiety which this emotional bankruptcy has brought in and he needs the help and he seeks the help and there the gita starts in the second chapter where arjuna uh, krishna starts counseling very first one of the very first and most important criteria of counseling is you know even in the present day not to give suggestions or advice unless it is short form sometimes some was seeing someone in very very dejected situation we uh, just go with our all advices there are so many people to advise but we forget that we are just not following the very first rule unless someone comes out and shouts the advice advice will be of no avail just as in english they say you can take the horse to the water but it is the horse which has to decide to drink the water you cannot make it drink even if you with thirst its mouth inside the water it has to drink so unless it has decided to drink the counseling will be of no avail so in the second chapter we find that in spite of all the weaknesses that's the only correct thing which arjuna did he had god by his side as his friend philosopher and guide to guide him out of this crisis of this emotional bankruptcy and there the counseling of the god starts which is the best counseling piece which still feel till we find which to which we can avail as the entire humanity can avail which the gita is a scripture which can transcend any ism easily it can be a wonderful way of counseling as we will go through the gita we will find that in spite of its spiritual uh, overtones it has some the universal approach and that can be very very uplifting and that way it makes the gita a universal scripture and so that we will continue with our study of the bhagavad gita shloka by shloka now from the second chapter which we will take up again in the next class 
and we will find that how wonderfully the God himself who has incarnated himself as Krishna is taking Arjuna, guiding him just step by step gradually to evolve, to broaden his perspective so that he can build his life on that broadened perspective and can all take part in the world for the social balance which is required at the same time not compromising with his spiritual upliftment. Both goes hand in hand. And that's what the Gita is meant for. So we will continue with our study of the Bhagavad Gita. We will start the second chapter. Uh, Sloka by Sloka we will study from the next class onwards. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.